It is past time to begin. We get talking and fellowshipping and time gets away. I have been uh, asked if I would teach Ben's class today because he is in a gospel meeting and I am thankful to get to do that. I didn't know what to teach. It's hard to just jump in and pick up and uh, study something. So what I decided we're going to do is we're going to do a character study today from Genesis chapter 39. If you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 39, that is going to be the text. And the character that we're going to study is one that had she not encountered a very prominent Bible character, we likely would have never heard of this woman. She is mentioned in only one chapter of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, we don't even know what her name is. Most of the time, we simply refer to this woman as Potiphar's wife. So let's talk about Potiphar's wife this morning. We're going to begin reading in Genesis 39 and the first verse. The Bible says, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, whom had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was, from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now incidentally, Joseph is going to be in Potiphar's house for about 11 years. And we're told that everything that he has, everything that Joseph oversees, it prospers. And so he becomes more wealthy, things are solid. It gets to the point that he trusts Joseph so much that he doesn't even know what he has anymore. He just says, Joseph's got it. The only thing he knows is the food that's on his table. He doesn't worry about it. That's the kind of trust he has in Joseph. I want you to keep that in mind when we get later in this story. Verse number seven. And it came to pass after all these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in his hand, in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. Now, I want to begin with the question, what is going on here with Potiphar's wife? 
I mean, what would make her do this terrible deed, this awful deed, this temptation that she is presenting to Joseph? I want to ask you that question and let you participate in this discussion. What is, she, what is going on with her? Why would she do this? What do you think? To undermine Joseph or her husband? Okay. Okay. Maybe to undermine Joseph with her husband? Maybe. What else? Why do you think she's doing this? She's just an immoral person. Maybe it's that. It says Joseph is a good-looking man, and maybe she just looks at him. She's immoral, and so she's just giving in to the lust of the flesh. What else? Uh-huh. All right, it could be that. She said he's, he's, she's lonely. Her husband doesn't pay any attention. You know, it could be that. Here her husband is this high-ranking government official, and it could be that, you know, Potiphar's so busy. After all, he's the captain of the guard. He's got a lot of responsibility. Maybe he's out of town a lot. That appears to be the case that he's not home, and, and she's left alone a lot. You know, it makes me think, in fact, that's one of the reasons I wrote down here that it could be that. We're just speculating, of course, but it made me think about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Let the husband render to his wife the affection that is due her. The King James says, do benevolence. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you, the King James says, for your incontinency. The New King James says, for your lack of self-control. Now, what's the point of that? What that means is, if you're away from your spouse for a long period of time, there is temptation that will arise there. I always tell people, sometimes people will take a job, and it requires them to be away from their spouse's for long periods of time, and I know sometimes it's unavoidable. If you're in the military, you, you can't do anything about it. I was in the military, and I had time periods when I had to be away from my wife, but God meant for husbands and wives to be together. And for that reason, he says, when you're away from each other, there is a temptation that is going to be there. So he said, to avoid that, don't let that be the case. And maybe that's what has happened with Potiphar's wife. Maybe her husband's not around, she's lonely, she is tempted. Maybe she just wasn't raised right. Maybe, like someone said, she was, uh, she's just an immoral person. Maybe she was raised in a family where this sort of thing is commonplace to commit adultery. And so it wasn't anything for her to think about this. You know, I sometimes have been around couples where the man or the woman would, um, they would talk about other people. Sometimes I've heard maybe a, a wife and she's got a crush on an actor, a movie star. She would talk about how good looking this man is. Oh, you know, I have, brethren, that sort of thing's not good. Don't do that sort. And you say, well, he's an actor and, you know, there's nothing I could do to get to that person. Don't do that sort of thing. It's still not good for your marriage. It undermines your marriage. 
Here's the thing. Whatever the reason was, it was wrong for her to do this. But you've got to be impressed with Joseph because Joseph is a man, though he had been sold into slavery, he had no message from his father. It, for all Joseph knew, his father might have been in on this. Joseph could have even argued, well, you know, even God has forsaken me. I'm in this horrible predicament, and here I am, a slave, and what's God doing for me now? But you know, here's the thing. None of these things changed Joseph. Joseph still has a strong faith. He still has confidence in God. And I hope that you and I, if we are ever placed in a terrible circumstance in life, I hope that it won't diminish our faith in God. Because sometimes bad things are going to happen. And we might be tempted to say, well, God has abandoned us. Especially in the hard times, we might think that. But you look at Joseph, and Joseph certainly could have thought, God has abandoned me, but he never said that. You know, sometimes I look on um, what they call these uh, SCI boards. It stands for spinal cord injury. And I go on there and I see all these other people who are, it's mostly a paraplegics, quadriplegics. And I would say about half of them are very bitter toward God. And they blame God. And they say, why did God do this to me? Or why did God let this happen to me? God didn't do this. Oftentimes, it was someone's own actions that caused it. Very frequently, it was someone riding on a motorcycle. Sometimes a person was hit by a drunk driver. God didn't do that. Someone's sin did that. But people are bitter at God. If anyone could have been bitter at God, it could have been Joseph. But what you see is he still has a strong faith. Now, here's the question I want to ask. How was Joseph able to resist this temptation with Potiphar's wife? He could have... He easily rationalized this. He could have said, you know, Potiphar is always gone, and so he's not even being fair by his wife. You know, sometimes I have seen situations where uh, a marriage counselor or a preacher ends up having an affair with a woman. I remember we had a situation in Charleston where there was a, a preacher who had done this. That's why I always have made it the practice, and I always advise people, never counsel a woman alone. It is a mistake to do that. And people have gotten themselves in a situation like this. He could have said, Potiphar's always gone. He could have said, God doesn't care about me. He could have said, as a slave, I got to get everything I can out of life. But how was he able to resist this temptation? I want to give you five lessons that we can draw from Joseph that I think can help us. Number one, Joseph made a decision about temptation before he faced the temptation. Now, the Bible doesn't say this right out, but I think it's something that is implied because isn't it interesting that when Potiphar's wife came and she said, lie with me, Joseph didn't have to take time to think this over. He already knew what his answer was, and I'm telling you, it's because he had thought about this before he had faced the temptation. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus faced the temptations of the devil, you remember that the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. 
If you're the Son of God, cast yourself off the, the pinnacle of the temple. If you're the Son of God, bow down and worship me. Observe, Jesus did not miss a beat. He did not stop to think about this. He immediately quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 8, because he had already thought through this. The decision was made before he faced the temptation. And such was the case with Joseph. Have you ever thought about where Joseph got this? Where did Joseph get this kind of conviction so that when he was faced with the temptation, he already had the answer? What do you think? Where did Joseph, where did Joseph get this kind of uh, conviction from? Okay, I think it goes back to his raising. I think it's got to be that. He got it from his daddy. And so somewhere along the line, his parents taught him this. He didn't get it in Egypt, that's for sure. So he got it from his daddy. We as parents need to think about this type thing. Where are our, our young people, are our children getting this kind of conviction from us? Are we doing the things in our family to instill in them this strong desire to want to be faithful to the Lord? How do we do that? We make rules for them. We teach it to them by commanding respect from them. We give them chores to do. We practice discipline with them. Because what happens right now with our children is they have our faith. They come to services because we come to services. But one of these days, they're going to have to make it their own faith. And one of these days, my conviction is not going to be enough. And so what we do is we take opportunities to teach our children while they're young. We take opportunities uh, to, to do the little things that will make a difference. And so Wednesday night comes up, and they've got a lot of schoolwork to do. And I could think, well, I'm going to let them stay, and I'm going to let them miss services because they've got uh, a lot of schoolwork to do. Or I could think, you know, they've got a ball game tonight, and it's the big one. It's the championship ball game, and they say, I really want to go. But what I do is I take opportunities like that to teach my children that you always put God first. And so instead of looking at it as, an, as a, uh, a stumbling block, I should look at these things as benefits and blessings. Right now, I'm teaching my children you always put God first because the day is going to come when they're going to make decisions on their own, and I don't want to have trained them to think that God is first sometimes, except when I'm really busy. God is first sometimes, except when there's a big event going on in my life. The little things I'm doing right now, I'm teaching my children about conviction. And I'm telling you, Joseph's dad taught him some conviction. And so it would be good for all of us who are parents to ask, will my children grow up with the kind of backbone that Joseph had so that he already had this thing settled in his mind. I want my children, when they grow up, my children are all grown now, but I hope that when they face temptations that they'll hear daddy's voice in their head. And I want your children to do that so that they hear mama and daddy's voice ringing in their head, reminding them to put God first. I hope they hear the preacher's voice ringing in their head. I hope they hear uh, Chase's voice ringing in their head, reminding them of these things Make sure that you put God first. Joseph was able to resist this, number one, because he had already made the decision. 
Number two, Joseph was able to resist this temptation because his convictions included loyalty. I want you to drop down to verses 8 and 9. There are two verses here that constitute one sentence, but if I count this right, there are five different references that Joseph makes to her husband, to the woman's husband, to Potiphar. And this is fascinating because the first thing out of his mouth is to refer back to the fact she's married. He is my master. And so I want you to look at verse 8. <clears throat> he said, the, the text says, But he refused, and he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, that's one, knows not what is with me in his house, and he, that's two, has committed all that he has, that's three, he has into my hand, there is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he, that is four, uh, kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his. That is five times. Don't you love that? Five times in one sentence he mentions her husband. Now, the point that I'm making here is about loyalty. You've got an account here of a slave who is more loyal to his owner than a wife is to her husband. Jo uh, Joseph is loyal. But what is interesting here is it underscores something about sexual sin and about adultery. There is a simple practice that can help a person to avoid adultery, and it's this. Anytime you feel the least bit uncomfortable around someone of the opposite sex, this is what you do. You bring up your spouse. You say something about your husband. You say something about your wife. Now, I'm not saying that the person who you're conversing with necessarily means anything or that they're necessarily uh, flirting or implying anything. But if you say something about your spouse, you say something about your husband or about your wife, it kind of kills that. And so if um, maybe a coworker, a woman says, um, ah, I really like that cologne you're wearing. It, you, you smell really nice. How do you respond to that? You could say, thank you, my wife bought me that. She loves that smell too. Doesn't that change it? See, you take something that you could respond in a way that could elevate it to the next level, or you can kill it right there. Joseph, when she says, please lie with me, he mentions Potiphar five times. Joseph's conviction involves loyalty. Are you loyal? Let me tell you something. Lust despises loyalty. Lust despises loyalty, but love can't live without loyalty. Are you loyal to your wife? Are you loyal to your husband? Are you loyal as a friend? Do your friends know that if they tell you something in confidence that you will keep it because you are a loyal person? Joseph's convictions included loyalty, and that's one of the reasons he's able to overcome this temptation from Potiphar's wife. Here's a third thing. He is able to face this temptation successfully <clears throat> because he is still shocked by sin. Now drop down to verse 9, and I want you to notice this. He says, there is none greater in this house, he says, than I. Can you hear this in his voice? He, he is shocked by this. There's none greater in this house than I. That is, how can you suggest this? 
He has put me in this position that he trusts me. He says, neither has he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I then do this thing? Listen to his words. He says, how can I do this? Are these the kind of words that you and I today as Christians would use? How could I do this thing and sin against God? You know, today when people talk about adultery, they don't want to call it fornication. They don't want to call it adultery. We have words that make it sound nicer, don't we? What do we call it? We call it an affair. We call it fooling around. Look, look at the word he uses. He says, how can I do this great wickedness? He says, this is great. He doesn't say fooling around. He doesn't say have an affair. He says, this is great wickedness. I'm telling you, this great wickedness indicates that he is shocked. He is offended by sin. And that shock and that offense by sin is a barrier. One of the greatest enemies today that we have, I think, to break down the walls of sin is television and the movies. And the devil is using it that way. He's using Hollywood against us because when you think about the filth on television, what happens if you hear, think about foul language. If you hear it all the time on television, what does that do to your um, sensibilities about this? Evil communications corrupt good morals. That's right, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Um, when you hear it all the time, does it continue to offend you at the same level? I remember an elder in the church in Alabama where I used to preach. He told me that he remembered when his family got their first television set in the 60s. And he said his daddy was an elder in the church. And he said the first time they said a bad word on TV, and it wasn't some of the words we hear today, I think it was what we would consider a less offensive word. I think it was maybe the word hell. They said this on TV, and he said his daddy got up and turned the TV off and said, we won't be having that filth in my house. Now think what happens when you hear it over and over and over. You can get to the point that it doesn't bother you anymore. I want you to think about what's going on in our society with homosexuality and transgender. Do you ever see that on TV? How is, the, how is the devil using this? I remember growing up, homosexuality was something on TV that would be laughed at. It was a joke, but we saw it all the time. Now it's gotten to the point, I'm telling you, you can't watch any television show without there being, uh, you would think that 50% of the population are homosexuals if you turn on the TV. And it's not just television shows, it's the commercials. You can't even watch the commercials, Sherry and I started watching the, the new Star Trek series. I've always been a, a Star Trek fan, a Trekkie, and we started watching it. We got about three episodes in. One of the key officers is a homosexual. I turned it off and I said, I can't take this. This is ridiculous. I've noticed now that shows, not only are they putting homosexuals on there, they're starting to put transgender people on there. Why are they doing that? They want us to accept this. They want us to start to like this character. They want us to feel sympathetic toward them. It's the devil breaking down walls. What is the objective 
of this. If we can get to the point that it just doesn't bother us anymore, then we won't be shocked by sin. If you hear people taking the name of the Lord in vain all the time, it gets to where it doesn't bother you that way. It gets to the point that a Christian can listen to foul language so much on TV that he can go and, and watch a movie and he can come back and say, I didn't hear any foul language. Why? Because it doesn't even bother him anymore. It doesn't even register with him anymore. I want to tell you that Joseph is shocked by sin. And this is one of the reasons that he is able to resist this. Whenever you are faced with temptation like this, like Joseph is, I want to suggest that you think about the end. That is, what is the end result of this? Is any good going to come from this? What about with God? What about in eternity? What are the chances that Potiphar's not going to find out? It always amazes me when someone engages in an adulterous affair, do they not believe they're going to get caught? And then what are the results of this going to be? What kind of devastation is it going to be? I oftentimes, when I'm faced with the temptation, I think to myself, what if the Lord were to return while I'm doing this? Can you imagine? Think about that and think about the consequences of your sin and it will help you to resist sin. I think the only reason that when, in fact, rather than telling you this, I'll ask you and see what you think. Potiphar, of course, Potiphar's wife is going to lie. And she's going to say that Joseph assaulted her and that Joseph tried to lie with her, tried to force himself on her. Of course, that didn't happen. It was just the opposite of that. Potiphar is a military man. He's a man of authority. And he is told by his wife that his servant tried to force himself on her. What would you expect Potiphar to do under those circumstances? You would expect him to have him killed, right? That's absolutely what I would expect to happen. Have you ever thought about why that doesn't happen? He just throws him in jail. Why do you think that would be the case? He doesn't kill him, he just throws him in jail. And again, we're speculating, but I think Potiphar knew what kind of woman his wife was. Don't most of us know what kind of person our spouse is? He knew what kind of woman his wife was, and he knew what kind of person Joseph was. Don't you think that when he heard this about Joseph, that Potiphar probably had a hard time swallowing this? I don't know if I can believe this. Joseph has done nothing but good. Everything that I own, I trust to him. This is completely out of character for Joseph. But he had to do something because it's his wife. I have speculated that that is the reason. The only reason that Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph and he doesn't kill him and he threw him in prison is because he knew what kind of man Joseph was. Now, she didn't love Joseph. She did this. It, you know, it's kind of like a teenage boy who's dating a teenage girl, and he says, if you love me, then, then you'll do this. It is a lie. It is a total lie. It can't turn out good. Now, here's the last one. The bell just rang. Joseph was able to resist this sin 
because he was smart enough to stay away from the source of the temptation. I want you to look at the end of verse 10 with me, and I really want to bring this out because this is something that we could read and pass right over and not catch this. But look at verse 10. It says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie with her, or, watch this, or to be with her. Now, these are two different things. I think so many times we read that, and it goes in one ear and out the other, but she, he would not lie with her or be with her. And so maybe it went like this. After a few days of trying to tempt him, and he says no, maybe it was like this. Maybe she came to Joseph and she said, Look, Joseph, I'm really sorry about uh, what I said. I know you're a righteous man. I just want you to know that I have admiration for you, and I respect you, I respect your convictions, and so I'm going to stay away from that subject. But I tell you what, I'm just lonesome. I just need you. I just need some male companionship. You know, my husband doesn't understand me. My husband, uh, he doesn't spend time with me. Could we just have lunch together? I just want to have some time. I just need somebody to talk to. Could it have been like that? But verse number 10 says he would not lie with her, and he also would not be with her. Brethren, there's some wisdom in this. You know, Proverbs chapter 5 talks about a similar thing. It talks about a man who is tempted by a sinful relationship with a woman. And it says in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 that you don't go near to the door of her house. Now, what's the point of that? What, what is the point? Don't go near to the door of her house. You just stay away from the temptation completely. Now, it is interesting when you read about different sins or different temptations in the Bible that some of them are treated differently. If you, or Before I say that, let me point this out. If you realize something tempts you, like Proverbs 5, don't go near the door of her house. If something tempts you, what you do is you stay away from it. If you are an alcoholic, you don't go sit in bars. You don't need to sit in bars anyway, but if you're an alcoholic... Maybe you don't even go to a restaurant that serves alcohol. If there is a person, a man or a woman, who poses a sexual temptation for you, then you stay away from that woman. If you are a teenager and you're dating and you know that there are going to be certain circumstances that are going to tempt you, you stay away from those type things. You know, a preacher friend of mine was telling me that uh, he didn't tell me who, but he was telling me he was doing some marriage counseling. And he said that there was a man who committed adultery with the lady that he worked with. And so he was counseling the couple, the man and his wife, trying to get them back together. And one of the things he said was, the wife said to the husband, I will only take you back if you change jobs. Why did she say that? You've got to stay away from that temptation. You can't be there, and you can't be dealing with this every day. You stay away from that temptation. Joseph had enough sense to stay away from the source of, him, of his temptation, and we need to have that kind of uh, resolve in our own lives. You know, it is interesting... Here's the, I'm, I'm going to make one more point uh, because I think we maybe have a minute or two. Joseph knew when it was time to run. 
Verse 12 says that he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of there. It's interesting when you look at some sins, sometimes the Bible says we are to stand and fight. That is, we dig our heels in and we fight. Makes me think of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the devil and he stands and he fights and he resists that temptation. There are some sins, the Bible says we just have to proceed very cautiously toward temptation. It's Galatians 6 and verse 2. If any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That is, you're going to do this, but you be really, really careful. But when it comes to sexual sin, the Bible always says, get out of there. You've got 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 10.13, or Proverbs chapter 5, don't go near to the door of her house. Joseph knew this, and Joseph did it. He left his coat, but he kept his character. All right, we'll stop there. Thanks for your participation. Appreciate it.